Welcome to the Rudo Love Podcast, a mini-series of anecdotes and interviews tailored for the inquisitive souls of today. On today's Ooh Ooh interview, where I ask juicy questions to the people that move me, I asked Jacqueline Brassfield to come and discuss LARPing. <laughs> That's live-action role-playing. So, Jacqueline, for those who may not know, what, first off, what is LARPing? So, LARPing is... I call it collaborative storytelling. Mm. It's people who get together to role play in a setting or a scenario. Uh, usually has some kind of rule structure to it. Sometimes not. Uh, and you play games. You solve puzzles, have adventures, have epic fights. Uh, yeah, all in a kind of um, improv atmosphere, similar mm -hmm. to improv, but... Um, Yes, sometimes with goals and that you're trying to achieve. Uh, but yeah, it's it's storytelling that's happening in front of you and you're part of the story. Mm. And you're a part of the story. Mm. I mean, there's not a better hook than that. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty uh, intoxicating once you get um, hooked by that hook. Ooh. <laughs> okay, well, let's just start in sort of the beginning of your origin story. Where did you grow up? So I grew up uh, predominantly in Seattle, Washington, mm -hmm. in the United States. Awesome. How did you like to play as a child? Uh, pretty solitary. So my imagination was a huge part of my play. Sometimes I played with my animals, my dog. We'd go on adventures. But uh, by and large, I was acting out things I had read about or imagined, coming up with scenarios, and then, yeah, seeing them come through. Dress-ups, always huge, you know, raiding mom's closet. Oh, yeah, um, me too. Yeah, building a little fairy forts out in the woods. Um, me too. Yeah, yeah, so so really dreamy stuff, really imaginative stuff, um, pretty out there stuff, but, yeah, pretty solitary for the most part. Mm. Did you um, have, like, an imaginary friend or friends? <laughs> uh, this is really embarrassing, but, yeah, my first imaginary friend that I can remember was Darth Vader. What? And we were best buds. Like, we were best buddies. And he was really kind. And he, you know, he was Darth Vader with the helmet in the black costume. But I remember sitting on my bunk bed and, you know, Darth Vader was with me. And we would do really wholesome stuff together. And... As a kid with the neighborhoods, we were playing Star Wars, and I always wanted to be Darth Vader. But I was Darth Vader making pancakes. Like, we had a big pile of sawdust, and yes. I was like, yeah, I'm going to make pancakes for you guys. Okay. And the, I've always The thought, caretaker part yeah. of, of Vader. <laughs> yeah, you know. I'm sure it existed. And I always thought that if I wrote a book, it, it would be called Pancakes with Darth Vader. <laughs> you know? That's a good title. Yeah, it's a really core memory of like doing the breathing and everything. And yeah. And oh, you're good at that. Scooping, I've had practice. <laughs> scooping up the sawdust. You know, here are your pancakes. Like, <laughs> oh, and what was awesome was that everybody bought in. Like, and, and that's sort of the wonder of play as children right mm -hmm. there's no oh that would never happen or you know people just went cool yeah i'd love some pancakes thanks and we all sat around and had pancakes lord vader yeah yeah <laughs> would you like butter with that 
Yeah, so he was my my big imaginary friend, Darth <sighs> Vader. I don't know why, but I immediately thought of the relationship between um, Hitler and Jojo Rabbit, like um, from Jojo Rabbit, how... You know, I haven't seen it, but I should. And yeah, you're probably right, just from the clips that I've seen. Yeah, I feel like it's so interesting that Taika Waititi chose to... I mean, he's a... He's a little shit. Mm. I mean, he's like the most petulant of Hitler's, but still decided to create a companionate mm. version of him. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why. I, I mean, I was seven when Star Wars came out. So, you know, we were in line for the very first screening of Star Wars. Mom knew it was going to be a big deal. So dragged us all out. So Star Wars was part of my consciousness from day one. Oh yeah. But why I picked Darth Vader as opposed to Chewie or you know RTD2 or you know a more typical kind of companion, mm-hmm. I have no idea. I mean I have theories around that. I think you were like if I were putting myself in your shoes, which is always a bizarre and interesting <laughs> exercise to do but I mean I'm, I'm feeling a bit more playful than I normally would because of the fact that we're talking about play I would have thought that that would have been an, a very magnetic character because of his extreme power yeah um maybe uh, I remember thinking he was cool because I mean you can't help but True. think he's cool he makes quite an entrance I also remember when they took off his helmet in whichever movie that was, oh yeah, being absolutely mortified for him. I remember mm. being in the theater and cringing in my seat, going, "Oh, I'm so, he shouldn't be like that. That mm. he's so vulnerable and Uggins, and you know, like, no, put it back on. Don't don't let people see you like that." So, oh wow, yeah, fascinating. Yeah, weird, eh? Yeah, yeah. There you go. That was my imaginary. <laughs> No, thank you for going there. Um, did So did you have much of a sort of friendship shift or dynamic that brought you into LARPing? So, so LARPing and like tabletop role play, Dungeons and Dragons, they, they share similar circles of people, right? And when I was first introduced to Dungeons and Dragons, um, my partner back in Seattle was doing it and he said, hey, you've got to come play this game with us. It's really cool. And I said, I would sooner die. Like, <laughs> how would I be, if, if you're pretending to be some barbarian shirtless, you know, I couldn't look you in the eyes again. Like, it's so, so embarrassing. No, 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 not for me. Mm. And then... Um, I, I kind of fell into the live action role play by accident in Seattle. It was a group of people that played Vampire the Masquerade at the university campus at night under the gargoyles in the moonlight. And I went, oh, okay, yeah, it's fine, fine, I'll go. And it just grabbed me right at the start because of the, you know, the setting and the mood and everyone was cool in their leather jackets and... Yeah. As soon as I kind of crossed that threshold from I don't know what to do and I'm going to make a fool of myself to everybody here is really supportive and they're they're encouraging me to have a good time. Yeah, there was a there was a shift. I thought I found some cool people here that in this moment we're all united in this one story that we're crafting together and everybody is trying to help each other look cool and have a good time. 
And that was really powerful. And then after the game was over, you'd go out to a diner and everyone would talk about how much fun they had and their favorite moments. And that was extremely positive. And also, you know, thinking about how I said my play had been solitary as a kid, Mm -hmm. I suddenly found people that played like I did. And um, that was wild. You know, mm. it was like finding an instant community and a hundred new best friends. And mm. we have this language of play that, you know, we can use. And yeah, so that was really cool. And it's made it easy when I moved to New Zealand to find friends right away. You know, if, you, if you're part of any community, it helps when you, you know, move around. Absolutely. Because, you know, you've got that shared language. Yeah. Yeah. So, mm. given my own experience of LARPing has only been from observing and coexisting with the players on my university campus, mm-hmm. I'd love for you to expand on the core tenets of what drew you to it and um, some of the kind of philosophy at play here. And you've been kind enough to sort of design the question sets for me, which I just really want to commend you for. <laughs> um, shall we just dig into what yeah, you've let's you've wanted? The what value does collaborative play bring to your life? Well, again, thinking back to the time when it was solitary, mm. it's just um, very fulfilling to share those passions with other people, to share that enthusiasm um, and that excitement. And it's very inspiring to bounce off of others. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so... Working with people in this way is hugely important to me. By my nature, I'm a I'm a loner. I am uh, quite the introvert. You know, I'm not usually recharged by being around people. Mm-hmm. This gives me an opportunity for the opposite. Wow. Yeah. So, I I have a lot of energy when we're getting together to do crafting or build props or come up with stories. And, and I recognize I need that outlet. I need that. And that's become really apparent in COVID times that not having that is really has kind of grayed down my life a little bit. Like mm. for me, it was a, it's a guaranteed amount of social activity and connectivity that I wouldn't be as good at without this hobby. And oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. And then just... Well, it's fun to make stuff on my own. Making stuff with others is is much more fun. And so you think, and this has been quite common with a lot of LARPers over the pandemic has been, I I finally have all the time in the world to sew and I have absolutely no inclination to do so because there's no, there's no one I'm going to share this with. Oh my gosh. And a lot of LARP creators what motivates them is that moment of sharing it. We've all been sewing till midnight and then you show up and, oh, that's amazing. And we know the pain and the blood and the sweat and the tears that have gone into it. And so that's really great. Yeah. Mm. I might have rambled a bit. I'm not sure if that that answered the question. Oh, beautiful. (laughs) I mean, so just playing it back to you, the value is that it, it goes against your natural instincts and yet provides you with what would be the opposite usually mm. this this sense of socialization mm. but it fuels you yeah 100 percent. yeah that's phenomenal i never thought of it that way <laughs> um that it could be this tool this this gateway to the community that we all need yeah and i i think that 
people find that in other niche groups as well. Absolutely. Um, And I think they're really important when you find that sort of, you know, similar minded people who share something. Uh, It's it's really important. Yeah, 100%. (laughs) I mean, you've talked about part of your journey is around either self-judgment or or perceived judgment around Mm. your nerdy hobby. Yeah. And you transforming that into just owning it. Yeah. I would call it reveling in the glory because I'm prone to hyperbole. Can you talk to me about what that's been like for you, what that journey was? Yeah, for sure. So I used to call myself a stealth LARPer. (laughs) Um, Like, please don't out me. I don't, I'm not ready to come out as a LARPer um, because I was so fearful of that judgment. And so... Did you get any of it? Like, do you have painful memories of being made fun of? Well... I mean, not about LARPing in particular, about being a nerd. Yeah. Um, But in general, you know, there's media ribbing about LARPing. Oh, for sure. Yeah, LARPers are portrayed negatively. So you're always sort of anxious if people say, oh, yeah, they're a LARPer, that you're going to get the, you know, the, the comments or the, you know, the teasing and in a workplace environment, maybe where you're trying to be a bit professional, maybe you don't want that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it, I've never had any sort of serious heckling. It, my, I, I think like a lot of fears, the perception uh, or your own ideals about how you're going to be treated are way off from the reality. Most people are cool. Most people are, you know, interested. So I got tired of explaining why I needed time off from work. You know, I used to say, oh, I'm just going, you know, I'm going out with friends and, you know taking Mm -hmm. a three-day weekend and Mm -hmm. coming back all buzzy but not being able to talk about it or feeling like I couldn't. And I I don't remember what job it was. Um, It would be within the past five years, I think. I just decided to stop lying. And I said, I'm going to a LARP. What's a LARP? We dress up in costumes and we hit each other with swords and we eat and drink and sing that sounds amazing. Like it is amazing. And and then I thought, okay, cool. That wasn't hard. That was really easy. And people are interested and they wanted to see pictures and they would see my costumes and their minds would be blown. And, you know, I'd bring in the swords and show them. And, and that was really good. I still felt weird though. Mm. You know, I still, I'm like, well, I've, I've, I've admitted what I do, but I still, I don't know. I still feel like I've got to hide it a bit. So at a a job of mine where we have a a big unconference, right? And people give talks and presentations and it can be about anything. 90% of it is about software. I did a presentation called How to Rock Your Embarrassing Hobby. And I, it was funny because I'm writing this like I believe it, but I don't quite myself you know and it was like a pep talk for me but I'm gonna present it like an expert who believes this all the time and man it was powerful it was I dressed up like a pirate because that was an easy costume to transport and I had a powerpoint deck with slides and I talked a lot about my own discomfort, my shyness, you know, my how I hate having my photograph taken, my, you know, issues with my appearance. And, and so I told the story of this really insecure person that is me. And then I flashed all these photos of me being a 
badass, grinning, making monster faces with 100% confidence. And I said, this is what my hobby does for me. And how dare anybody say anything negative about that? How dare anybody try and put me down for that? Look at that confidence. Look at that joy. And people were crying. Like it was, it was awesome. I had this whole audience of people across the board, none of them LARPers. And some people were in tears and actually was voted second best talk of the whole conference. And people talked about it being transformative and, you know, making them want to respect others, but also respect their own passions. So it was pretty cool. Yeah, definitely a life highlight there. And, you know, by the end of that talk, I believed in what I wrote, you know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was a a couple of aha moments for me, even in the middle of talking about it. Yeah. That's phenomenal. Oh, so you've talked, you've mentioned, you've uh, dangled a few characters (laughs) into our imaginative space here. Can you talk to me about some of the myths and storylines that are at play with the work that you do, with the play that you do? So so I can tell you about some of the events, if okay. that's what you mean, and sort of the, the, the themes and stories there. Is that what you're after? or? Uh, so, yeah, no, thank you for making me clarify. There's, I guess there's two questions, really. Sure. One is around, is there a myth or archetype that pulls you? And then the second one is, oh, right. what are some of the um, storylines that you're playing out collectively? Sure, I see. No, okay. So f- for the first one, it's a little bit dependent on the game, right? So when a new event is happening, we get a scenario in a world setting, maybe types of groups of creatures or people that live there and I I consider first of all what's something that I have played recently so I don't want to usually go down that path again oh really yeah because part of the joy of this is getting to experience so many different kinds of stories and so many different kinds of behaving or being or feeling Mm -hmm. so I'm greedy for experiences and so I love to have variety in what I'm playing what I'm experiencing Mm. so I don't have a type that Mm. I go for although it it is getting a bit harder to find unique characters (laughs) I I do tend to gravitate toward other type creatures so if there's a monster i want to play the monster if there's a a non-human race i tend to want to play that Mm. um part of that is because i love costuming so something like that has a high costume requirement and i'm down for that i love it so yeah is there something weird that's got horns and yeah 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 i'm probably gonna go toward that but also it just depends on what i feel like pretending to be for you know, two days. How do I want to behave? What kind of exchanges do I want to have with people? What 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 can I do that is going to help other people have fun? You know, what kind of character can I create that I know will bounce well off of others or provide challenges or mystery for other players? So, oh yeah. So there's a lot that I consider that is before so creating a character. Yeah, I'll tell you my. <laughs> 
my most interesting character experience was born out of a desire to make the the hardest costume I'd ever done. Okay. Right? And so I thought, oh, I've, I really want to challenge myself. And so I decided I wanted to play a male character, a male presenting character, but I wanted to do it so authentically that people wouldn't know it was me. And I, I said to the game organizers, it, it, normally before the game, we all get together, they have a briefing and they tell you the rules. I said, can I just stay off screen? I'll listen. But I really want to see how long I can go before people know it's me. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's really awesome. So I, uh, th- this was a game set in the Musketeers universe, right? And oh, cool. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. And so I, I developed Jean-Baptiste, who was a very bad man, sort of a criminal what? overlord. And, you know, and I got a fake beard and mustache and learned how to wear it. And I tell you what, the first time I put that on, and I had an idea of what I would look like with a beard. And it wasn't like that. And I looked at myself in the mirror and I went, oh, he's a bad man. Like, there is no <laughs> way this man is good. Look at that face. He's seen some shit. And it, it, it was magnificent. And people didn't know who I was. In fact, they, they, send out, uh, they send out crew with little plot hooks. And they would go back and they'd say, we can't find her. She's not at the game. And they'd be like, no, dress like a man, you know. Oh, my goodness. That was fun. And that, you know, I learned how to walk, sit. I mean, I was man spreading for days, talk (laughs) differently. And that was wild. And the thing that ended up being super cool about that was getting into the mindset of a middle-aged man in a story full of heroes and young, you know, strapping, handsome, you know, and going, wow, there's a lot of power here. This is another kind of other character. This isn't somebody that is as celebrated as much as the hero. And how do you feel living past your glory days and seeing these other younger men wooing women? And and, and it was took me on all kinds of journeys that were really cool good to explore and that was just born out of a want to make a really hard costume but it ended up taking me on on some places Mm. that's so amazing i'll tell you what i'm not drawn to okay um because this has been a a sort of part of my own personal journey Mm -hmm. around gender identity getting older just standards of beauty for uh, I don't want to play female presenting characters anymore that would be considered beautiful or noble or, you know, like a queen or a princess or anything like that. I I can't do anymore. And it was really liberating to say, I don't have to do that anymore, actually, because this is a space for play and for fun. And... LARP is getting better about more variety of roles, I guess, and more diversity. Mm-hmm. You know, every female presenting char- player doesn't have to play a female presenting character. It's not just about being the hot young heroine. Uh, but the population is still younger. And so getting older in LARPing and being female presenting it, it you feel like 
do I now have to play the crone or you're always going to be the mother or the matron. And I didn't, I didn't want that. And so I kind of opted out. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. Commend you for that because Mm. there's, there's healing practices in Mm. breaking free of the tropes. Yeah, absolutely. And then that led to me thinking a lot about my own gender identity. And I, I mentioned in my notes to you that, you know, big things can come out of LARP, that LARP is not therapy and it should not be a replacement for therapy, but you can have epiphanies like that through it mm-hmm. because you're you're given the option to be anything. Mm-hmm. And so for a lot of people, you know, we've seen other people explore stuff through LARP, playing a character, and maybe they're playing that character because they've got other inklings in the back of their head and so it's an opportunity in a really safe environment to do something else, mm-hmm. be somebody that is so far than how you normally present yourself. I um, mean, it's been profound for yeah, a number of people. What about the role of magic in this? So that, so that is an interesting one. Um, most of the settings have magic mm-hmm. uh, and it can be evolved from your sort of classic D&D fireballs and you know lightning bolts and everything to complex rituals that players create to do a thing Mm -hmm. you know we need to open this gate by midnight so do collect the thing and get these components and draw the stuff and do this chant and there is more sensitivity i think in making sure that those rituals and that magic is done respectful Mm. trying to if, if you're inspired by a certain culture certain practices that you're you know, you're appreciating, not appropriating, that you're not doing anything that's offensive, uh, coming up with sort of generic things that can be magic without being um, problematic. Interesting. Yeah. You've you've talked about the connection between LARPing and tabletop mm-hmm. um, uh, role play. Did you have much of a relationship? Did you end up going into D&D with your partner? So no, I didn't with that partner. <laughs> uh, but after I started LARPing, I did start playing D&D when I got to New Zealand. Oh, okay. Yeah, and now I love it. It, it is it, it scratches an itch. It's a very different itch from LARPing. On the one hand, it's a lot easier to be whatever you want to be. You don't have to worry about, you know, what you see is what you get. Mm-hmm. You can be anything you want and it, and it's cool. It's a um, shorter bursts of fun. It's more social. You're not in character all the time. Uh, and again, it gets me out of the house and it gets me with people, which I need. So I, I love it. Um, yeah, but LARPing is, is, is different. You talked about the way to internalize or kind of make a catalyst for something that perhaps you, you would just go through because you're human. Mm. It's not a therapy mm-hmm. substitute. Mm. Totally appreciate that. Mm. What other what other part of that? What other things do you have to manage in terms of the risks? You talked about cultural appropriation. You talked about um, making sure that you're conscious of role tropes mm. and engendered limitations. Mm-hmm. What other kind of risks or hurdles have you experienced? So a big one is around romance. Mm. and making sure that you are always doing things with consent, always making sure that your boundaries are correct 
Um, mm. I think one of the negative stereotypes of LARP can be, you know, that it's skeezy guys coming to, you know, role play and meet pretty young girls. When you're in the moment and you're feeling the big feelings in a big, you know, a big tropey romance gone wrong and you may be totally crying real tears and you're really feeling it. Your brain doesn't know that that's make believe, mm-hmm. you know, you, you know, your, your dear husband has just died of arsenic poisoning and you're bawling your eyes out. You know, your brain doesn't know that that's not reality. So it's being conscious of that, having cool downs and conversations with people. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. We look out for each other in that way, I think. Um, and we do talk about making sure that you are having like romance or powerful scenes with people with consent. Everybody's on board. Yeah. Yeah. So pre-negotiation of yeah. scenes as well. Yeah. Like I've oh, even, fantastic. I've even written like written agreements with some people about we're going to be in, in a romantic situation. This is what I'm okay with. I'm happy with you touching me from the elbow to the shoulder please don't touch these parts of my body please don't touch any parts of my body at all Uh, i like these terms of affection yeah stuff like that we've actually got mechanics in a lot of the larps for kissing where you just link pinky fingers and you can be quite dramatic about it but yeah setting those kind of barriers to keep each other safe and i think you know we're learning as a community to do that kind of stuff better all the time and yeah, just make sure it's a safe space. Consent is really important. Fantastic. Yeah. That is so fantastic. Oh, I mean, we haven't talked much about the role of, of violence. I think the first thing mm. that a lot of people assume is that it's centered around a very violent, a very conflict-heavy mm. um, thematic. Is that true? So I would say that it depends on the event and it may depend on the country. Mm. In America, I think the reason I never was interested in it is because they they do what's more called a boffer style of LARP and that is definitely more about hitting each other with foam-covered pipes and maybe with a little bit of role-playing skin on top of it, but really it's an opportunity for a big bash. And the big bashes can be fun. I went to the the biggest LARP I went was called Conquest of Methodia. Uh, it's one mm-hmm. tiny town in Germany that becomes a, uh, I don't know how many miles long village once a year. There were 8,000 people there. Oh I was in a battle with thousands of people. And I real suck. I, I suck at combat. But in, in an army that big, it doesn't matter. And it was joyful. Woo! You know, whacking people with my sword. It was great. So combat can be really, really fun. Most of the events in New Zealand here try and cater to three distinct groups, which Mm -hmm. are fighters and scholars and more social characters. That seems to be the typical spread of interest. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, so most games will have combat in them, several combats throughout the event. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, but the but they're tied to the story. So you've got to defend the village. You've got to go chase down the big bad. You've got to go get the MacGuffin off of the mysterious stranger who just rode away. Mm-hmm. So it's tied to story. And it would be comparable to the violence in Lord of the Rings or something. Yep. So, yeah. An appropriate link. Yeah. <laughs> 
What's the longest you've spent on a piece of costuming? Oh, my goodness. Well, I spent an entire summer outfitting my, a whole group for a LARP once because oh, wow. we had we had we were a family unit and we were meant to be the richest people in the game, and not m- not many of them could sew. And I said, I'll just I'll take one for the team. You buy the material. I'll make everyone's clothes so we look good. And that that was a summer I'll never get back. <laughs> 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 yeah, but I'm I mean. You know, a, a while. Mm. Um, I'm usually working on several things at once. So, oh, yeah. Yes, it's hard to say for certain. I'm mm. the same way with my art. Yeah. I can never answer this question. Yeah, I, well, I'm the same way with my writing or my art. It is, it, I work on it for as long as I need to work on it. And mm. it, it usually it's in a state of I'm excited or I can't stand to look at it. So I'm going to go look at another thing and bounce around them all until they get them done. Yes. Yeah. <sighs> I, I have to say, I didn't know how to sew before LARPing. So I've learned how to sew, how to work with leather, uh, how to make shoes. Uh, what? Yeah, like simple ones. Uh how to do um, breakdown, which is how to make costumes look old and worn. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I've learned heaps of things through LARPing. The, this community is incredibly creative and gifted, and there are people that can do all kinds of stuff. And because we have to build our own props for sets and costumes for the crew, you get together with people and they, they teach you stuff. Um, mm. and so that's, are there many people in the kind of film, theater, acting industry? Yeah, so we've definitely got people that work for Wetter, work for some of the film and TV studios, and, you know, we've we've learned from them. But we've also got people who are IT professionals who happen to be able to build anything out of any material, yes. and uh, that's quite intoxicating as well, to be in a community of makers and learn and then share that knowledge. So yes. having sewing bees and, you know, getting people to make their first piece of costume uh, is just really exciting. Yeah. I fancied this fellow in um, my uni. He was an engineer mm-hmm. uh, major and he was hand um uh, wrought like he was using wire and he was making his own chain mail. Oh yeah, by the link. Yeah, I I, I thought about it this lockdown. I thought, well, I could do that. That's going to take forever. <laughs> I thought, I've got absolutely nothing to wear it to, and I probably never will. So no, we'll. I'll learn to crochet instead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I feel like I've covered all the. Th- things that you sent me but have we missed out on some like important aspects or the things that make this space so unique yeah so thinking about back to my childhood right Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and how I played and why this scratches the itch for me um in the way that it does now I'll preface this by saying you know I don't speak for all LARPers of course some people play the games to win them you know to solve the puzzle to be the hero some people go and they're it's more sort of social they're not you know, they're not really role-playing. They're kind of themselves in a costume and having a good time. Everybody does it for a different reason and everybody gets something different out of it. For me, when I was a kid and I was watching Star Wars or going to theater, I, I grew up going to a lot of theater, it was never enough 
to just watch it. I had this ache to be it. And and as a kid, I remember every time I would fall in love with a character in a play or really like a character, I would start talking like them, moving like them, imitating them. I'd read, I'd go out and find the book that the play was based on. I'd get really obsessed by it. And it was frustrating to be in the audience. I wanted to be there in the story. Uh, And that is such a strong memory as a kid of it's not enough for me to be sitting here and watching this. I want to be in it. I want it to be around me 360. Um, I want other people to be watching me in it. And, uh, oh, I I mean, I just had this strong memory of me as a kid at this theater in Seattle intermission and the the men in the story had been wearing these gorgeous flouncy frock coats and I was in my long winter coat and I had come back from going to the bathroom was walking down the aisle to my chair and I remember flaring out my coat and trying to walk with the same kind of attitude that they had had you know like so desperately wanting to be a part of it and I still feel that way when I watch stories is like oh that's really great but I want to be in it. Yeah, how would I approach that? Yeah, like it's uh, it just passively watching it isn't isn't enough. I yeah. I got to get amongst it. And so my first real big weekend LARP here in New Zealand, I was really nervous about it. And, you know, again, it was like being back in Seattle. That was a short little LARP. The ones in New Zealand were weekend long. You had to be the same character all weekend. And I thought, oh, this is going to be really embarrassing. I'm not going to do a good job. How am I going to react? How am I going to make sure that I react appropriately and naturally Mm -hmm. and act right? Mm. This is at a fee too. And on the first night, there were no rain, but lightning flashing in the sky everywhere and the wind was making everyone's everything bellow cloaks and dresses and I I was swept up in that magic and then you know a dozen people dressed as vampires leapt out of the darkness and came running at us with weapons and I was not acting at that point I was terrified I was running I was screaming I was you know trying to defend myself with people and and after that scene it happened and the lightning is continuing to flash and the wind is continuing to bellow I thought yeah this is it I'm in that story and I don't have to worry about how I'm going to react I mean you just are and you're going with it and I was like that done tick that's what I've wanted yeah yeah and it was beautiful and uh, yeah absolute magic so how much does being outdoors play into this because I'm sitting here hearing you describing seeing people on stage Mm. and trying to figure out well, why didn't you go into theater Mm. do you think it's the outdoors part the immersive interplay of nature so it, it can it can be a little bit so the the setting or what we call set dressing is important to me. Some people are really happy to play in a fluorescently lit room, no costumes, just through the power of you know theater of the mind. For me, I love it as immersive as it can be. So mm-hmm. I'm always happy to create props and do set dressing to make the indoor spaces really cool, atmospheric, you know, appropriate to the setting. Um, outdoors is certainly cool as well. Again, depending on um, okay, so you yeah, do, do it inside as well. 
Yeah, uh, uh, we tend to rent like scout camps. So we'll have numerous buildings and we'll typically dress one as a tavern type area. Then there might be a sort of a noble person's court, uh, then maybe a place to do rituals because, you know, rain, New Zealand, right? Indoor spaces are important. But then, yeah, outdoor can be magical too. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh my goodness. You've painted such an incredible picture for me. It's, it, it can be just amazing. Mm. Yeah. We're actually, we've had like such a long gap of LARP because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a game a year ago, sort of in between lockdowns. And I've actually just <laughs> organized something for next month, which is, I'm calling it LARP light because we're not. Uh, coming up with a storyline we don't have a plot per se we don't have crew going out and being the npcs i was inspired by our flag means death <laughs> watching mm. that and just really <laughs> vibing on gay pirates and i'm like we're gonna we're gonna do a gay pirate get together bring your character and your drama and we're gonna have a good time saying yar <laughs> oh heck yeah yeah having some playful sword fights having a flag decorating contest yeah <laughs> Oh yeah, it's really wholesome. I hope that you can return to that vibrancy and that like mm. level of commitment where <sighs> we can get back to that. Yeah, yeah, we all do. It's really hard. The people that put on these events, they spend years of their lives working on them, writing wow. the plots, coming up with the crew, wow. booking the venues, getting the first daters. Um, yeah, it's it's a huge logistical deal and most LARP campaigns will run over a couple of years and so it's been really hard on the people that have planned these beautiful events that had to be postponed and postponed and then finally cancelled because you just can't yeah yeah foresee when it's gonna yeah it's just too Mm. difficult and then you know so now everyone is learning to understand their own level of risk and we're finding new ways to make it as safe as possible, you know, bringing rat tests and new levels of hygiene. And yes, hopefully we'll see. This is kind of a good trial for all of us to get back into the hobby a little bit without spending all the time on making a big campaign and mm-hmm. yeah, reminding ourselves of the magic that it can bring. The magic that it can bring. Mm-hmm. It's gorgeous. <laughs> um, So... As part of my interview process, I like to pose questions each time mm-hmm. to the guests. And I would, and, unless there's anything else you want to cover. No, no, no. This has been great. Oh, it's been so great. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> you're going to laugh because, oh, maybe you're not. I'm really interested to know what you're going to say about this. Okay. So my question, you ready? Mm-hmm. Given the opportunity to visit other solar systems and other planets to explore extraterrestrial existence versus the gift of flight here on earth which would you choose wow that's a wild question (laughs) (laughs) can i bring other people with me I mean, I don't think I'd want to travel Look out of the Look at you, already <laughs> trying to freaking deal make with me. <laughs> well, I, I, I... No, solo. This is just about you. Yeah, nah. Stay on Earth and fly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
All right. If I had said you were allowed to bring other people, would you have changed your mind? Yeah. Okay. Because it would be really, it would be really difficult for me to experience something so amazing and not have people to share it with. Who would you bring? Uh, definitely my husband, Luke, who is obsessed with planets and, and the solar system and everything out there. Yeah. Luke, let's go look at aliens. Oh, all the time. Yeah. <laughs> all the time. He calls our little garden by our house our Star Trek garden because it reminds mm-hmm. him of all the sets from Star Trek. And he, he sends me articles about Mars every day. And yeah, so we'd have to do it with him. Mm. Mm. Okay. Um, so my mother gave me um, an article from Discovery Magazine that talked about learning another language, mm-hmm. making you a better person. Mm-hmm. So what word or phrase in another language holds deep resonance for you? Ooh. Uh, that That has completely fried... I uh, got it. Art is longer, vita brevis. Mm. Art is long, life is short. Mm. That is a statement that I can live by. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not meant to be, you know, morbid. No. It, it, it is just about the endurance of art. Mm. And the mark we leave behind. Mm. Yeah. Heck yeah. Yeah. Phenomenal. <laughs> Thanks, Jack. Yeah. That was amazing. As we approach the end of this episode, I would be remiss if I did not voice gratitude. Gratitude to the power of play and the power of community and the inspirational elements that support us in that. Thank you to the concepts that you've brought to the table for us here today. Thank you for breaking through the conditions of what adulting is. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, all the time. (laughs) And thank you to this planet that houses us and is livable and vibrant and the flora and fauna that create equilibrium. Thank you to the ancestors and guides that live in our bones and dwell on the other side of that veil but whisper in our ears and... Thank you to the unconditional love in which I rest. Thanks to Bjorn for engineering and producing and supporting the packaging up of this podcast. And thanks to you, dear listener, for your time. Thank you so much for coming, Jack. This has just been fantastic. I've loved it. (laughs) Thank you so much. All right, everyone. um, Stay tuned for another um, week's episode coming to you soon. Kakitia noa ho i akota. Thank you.